Welcome to the Jay Martin Show. If you're new to the show, my name is Jay. I'm an investor. I'm here looking for the best home for my cash. If that sounds like you, I think you're going to like what we do here. Now, this episode, however, is a little bit different. Today, I'm not sitting down with an investor. I'm sitting down with Larry Hagner, who is the founder of the Dad Edge podcast. Now, the reason I wanted to talk to Larry today is because Larry talks about something that's sort of become controversial, what it means to be a man these days, oddly how that's become controversial. But Larry is an absolute phenom in his industry. I mean, this is the number one podcast for dads in the world, over 30 million downloads thus far. He's interviewed individuals like Matthew McConaughey and Mike Tyson and just has this phenomenal air about him. I'm really pumped on his mission. So if you are following these social and cultural trends like I am and not quite sure what to make of them, Larry Hagner might have some answers for you. And it was a real pleasure to interview this gentleman today. I hope you're going to enjoy this one. Yes, it's a bit different, but I loved it. I think you're going to love it too. Special announcement before we jump in. The Commodity University is now live. So for all of my aspiring commodity investors who've been tuning in. We've launched the 101. This is the blueprint for anybody hoping to understand everything from basic principles and definitions, like what is a commodity, through to portfolio construction. I believe this decade will be defined by rising commodity prices in response to scarcity and fractured supply chains as the world deglobalizes. But that's just what I think. If that sounds interesting to you, check out thecommodityuniversity.com thecommodityuniversity.com. I love this project. I'm super jacked on it. I don't know if you can tell. So check it out if it's of interest to you. And here is Larry Hagner. Enjoy. All right, here I am with Larry Hagner. Larry, it's great to have you on the show. I've been looking forward to chatting with you. I love the content you create. I love the mission behind your business uh, and your message. And so I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today. Yeah, you bet, man. Appreciate the uh, appreciate the invite, Jay. As a, as a point of introduction, why don't we start like this? Um, I want to get into your why. Why the Dad Edge movement? You know, when I think about um, your content that I've uh, that I've listened to and digested, I think about concepts like ruthless accountability and responsibility, um, growing young boys into responsible men as leaders, taking accountability for their life. Um, what can I ask you? Like when you launched this business, what were you seeing, you know, at a macro level, at a society level, at a cultural level that led you to the idea that this is a message that people need right now and that you can help people with this narrative? You know, to, to be honest, I, I didn't see it necessarily in culture. It really just was my own experience. And when I, when I first started the, the mission, you know, it was really just out of more of a hobby, more of a, uh, something that was therapeutic to me. Uh, I, I really did it because I was lost as a man, as a husband, as a father. And, but I, but I wasn't, I wasn't lost as in, as something that was going on that was really, really extreme. Like I wasn't like beating my kids or, you know, drinking beer and throwing beer bottles at them and that kind of thing. I wasn't beating my wife, but what I will tell you is I was, I was in a dangerous like middle ground of it all, right. Where I wasn't doing anything really horribly, but I certainly didn't know what good looked like either. I mean, I was, I was raised with half my childhood was raised with, without a father figure in, in my life whatsoever. 
And then the other half was raised with just a revolving door of just toxic men that would just kind of come in and out of my life. As my mom got married three times, she dated men in between. Every guy was the exact same guy. It's just a toxic partier, drinker, you know, heavy handed, physically abusive, mentally abusive, emotionally abusive. So when I became a father for the first time myself, 17 years ago, you know, it was really important to me to do this thing right and to get it right. And I was in completely and totally unequipped and unprepared for it. And I didn't even realize how unprepared I was until I was six years into it. Like my oldest at the time, when I, when I had this experience happen that I'll share, uh, he was six and my youngest at the time was four. I now have four boys, uh, 17, 15, nine, and seven. But at the time my oldest was six, my youngest was four. And I was your typical guy. I was your typical dad who is living life kind of alone as far as like my emotions go, my mentality goes. I wasn't learning anything of how to be a better man, better husband, better father. I was very stagnant and I was great in my career. I you know made great money and all that other good stuff, but I wasn't the most patient and patient dad. I wasn't the most empathetic dad. I didn't, I didn't even know how to communicate really with my wife. I mean, I, I did the typical dumb mistakes that the majority of us make. And it was one night that changed everything. I always swore to myself because of the way I was raised in this, and, I, and I'm happy to give you any detail you want because there's quite a story there, but I was raised with a heavy hand no matter who the guy was. And I always told myself, I was like, I'm never going to put my hands on my kids out of anger. And I broke that promise. My four-year-old was, he, like I said, he's my youngest at the time, stepped out of line one night. I spanked him. And unfortunately, I spanked him and he hit the ground. And as soon as I hit him and as soon as he hit the ground and I didn't even really hit him that hard, but I hit him hard enough to where he lost footing and fell. And I was like, Oh my God, like what the hell did I just do? And I went to pick him up and the look on his face was the message that I needed. And he looked at me like he was terrified of me. And in that moment I saw, I saw me, I saw how I grew up. And I remember being deathly afraid of these men that, would, would have their way, you know, with, with me hitting me and stuff like that growing up. And it was in that moment that I was like, holy crap, like I did, something's got to change. I don't know what it is, but something's got to change. And I'm not here to argue whether spanking is a good thing or a bad thing or whether you're on board with it or not. I just didn't want to do it. And so that was it. And I, I really started looking at my life. And again, this was me at the time. It's a big it's a big, bigger mission now as it relates to your question of like what we're seeing in culture. But at the time, I just wanted to be better. And I started looking at things like my job. I was a medical device sales. I started looking at things like martial arts. I had done martial arts for years. And I just started looking at like those two areas. I'm like, why am I decent in these areas? And it all boiled down to one thing that I was trained. I had skills. I, I knew what to do, when to do it. You know, you even take things like martial arts, right? That community-based environment where you have a mentor, somebody who's ahead of you, somebody who's teaching you, you have a community that you're doing life with, that you're learning with, right? That you get to spar with, practice with, all these things. And then you also get to teach lower belts as they start to come up, up in the ranks. So there's somebody ahead of you, somebody with you, and somebody behind you. And it's an environment of learning. And I started really asking myself like, hey, what have I done in the environment of marriage, what have I done in the environment of parenting? Nothing, zero, zilch. So no wonder I was lost. So I went, I started 
you know, the good dad project, which is now the data edge and started that in 2013, just as a blog, no intention of creating a mission behind it. Started the podcast in 2015, just because I got tired of blogging. I want to have conversations with people instead. And it wasn't until 2016, we started the community. And that's where really the rubber met the road of like what men needed. And that's when I really saw a lot of men say, me too. Yes, I've, I, this is my life and I want it to be better. I just don't know exactly how to do it. And it became this learning mission. And that's the way it's always been. Man. Okay. First of all, thank you for going deep there, buddy. I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, every father who's watching this, I'm sure can relate. I got three little boys. I, I definitely can. You know, it's, it's a trip like that. <laughs> my wife and I had this conversation a couple of times when we brought our first son home from the hospital. And it was like, can you believe they're just letting us take this kid home? We have no idea what to do here. What to know? do, yeah. Yeah, who okayed this decision, which is a funny thing. We joked about it, but it's true. Like the most significant choices and tasks in your life are the ones you get the least preparation for. You know, I'm an expert at grocery shopping, right? I can nail that, right? Um, marriage, you know, most people get one shot at that and it's one of the most significant decisions in your entire life, right? And you get zero practice at that, Right. The menial things we can practice every day, the biggest ones we can't. You know, you you mentioned a, a handful of people raised their hand immediately and said, me too. And I'm like, obviously, right? It's it's because men have this balance. I don't know if you find this to be true where, you know, in, in a lot of like, just to generalize, you know, guy culture, you know, we, we take the piss out of each other, you know, we, we rib each other. It's a lot of fun, right? Um but the the contrast to that is that maybe you're a bit less likely to be vulnerable because, you know, men sometimes default to poking fun at each other, even in, in good natured way. You know, I got two brothers, like, you know, we rarely have a serious conversation, even though they, we care for each other dearly. If someone does something stupid, we're more than likely to make fun of them. And that's just kind of the, the culture we've got. And it's a blast and I love it. But as a consequence, when you want to go deep and vulnerable and share something that's kind of actually tough, you know, it, it can be awkward to find that place. Um, I'm sure you you must have struck that chord with that, with a lot of people since you launched this platform. Oh yeah. I mean, a hundred percent it's um, you know, I, I would call it the uh, you know, so like, yeah, do I think it's cool to like to poke fun and banter with dudes? Yeah, of course. Like that, that's fun. That's kind of how we relate. Right. But, it, but there are things that, men really do want to talk about, you know, that given the right environment, they either will or they won't. Right. And I think that there's, there's another way that we can go about this too. And and I think a lot of it has to do with perception. And I mean, I I've been in this space now working with men since 2015, I'm literally going on our eighth year doing this and I'm still not comfortable with the word vulnerable. There's a part of me that like even hates saying it. I, I much, I much prefer the term authenticity, which is like, this is my true self, you know, all the good and all the not so great. Okay. But, um, but I, I, with authenticity and vulnerability, I think you can, the perception is, is, well, there's like this feminine energy behind it. Like there's this sappy, just doesn't really feel good. Like crying over our feelings. And I don't, I don't think it has to be that way at all. I think men have moments like that. Sure. But I think authenticity and vulnerability can look like this, right? And this meaning like, hey, Jay, I've noticed that you and your wife seem to have a really fantastic relationship. Like every time I see you guys, like you're happy, you're talking, you know, like 
you you posting photos of you guys going on a date nights. So you guys seem like you really got your stuff together, which is really cool. And to be honest, like me and Jess, we've been going through like a, a season of like distance a little bit. And quite frankly, I don't know the answer, but maybe you can share with me some of the things that you guys do to keep your relationship on point. Now, if that was a real conversation and those are the types of conversations we hear every day, that's a very masculine conversation. In fact, what I just did was, is I complimented you. I complimented you on how you go about the relationship with your wife. I probably made you feel really darn good. At the same time, I just became way more relatable to you too, because you're just like, oh, wow, like that's cool. Like this guy, you know, come to me for advice. Like that's awesome. And plus like there have been times in our relationship, I'm talking about you where maybe you weren't on point with your wife, you know, and it's like, it, it relates us and it gives you permission. So and if you really want to make another guy feel on top of the world, ask him for his advice, you know, right? Because we like to solve problems. So when we do that, we create like, we create a connection, number one, that's a, that's a, has a very masculine feel to it. But what I just did in that moment too, is I gave you permission that if you ever needed to come to me for anything, you could, because I went first and I was authentic with you first. So you could be like, you know, Hey, I've noticed this, this, and this, when it comes to patience with my boys, I've noticed that it seems like you're pretty a pa pretty patient guy with your boys. Maybe you can give me some pointers on that. So it becomes this deeper this deeper exchange and a deeper conversation versus like the banter, right? Which I think banter is still cool, but like we could really sharpen each other by giving each other the gift of what we've learned in the strategy in our own experience, just by having that conversation that otherwise wouldn't happen. Hmm. I got to ask Larry, what do you think is the the mass results of that conversation being absent from from men from from growing boys from fathers from husbands i i think number one uh it's hard for sometimes men to communicate and i think having that conversation shows real courage it shows real leadership you know because what you're also doing is in that conversation even even though I'm asking you for advice. I'm also leading you into and and somewhat inviting you into a conversation to go back and forth if, if you wanted it to be. But I think that's what's really missing. Every single man walking the planet, every single one, right, that has a good heart, that has a good mind, comes to the table with incredible strengths that, quite frankly, we aren't really self-aware of because what most men do is we're so focused on our shortcomings that we never actually even see our strengths. So like, for instance, Maybe you view me, and I'm just using this as an example. Maybe you view me as a guy who's really patient and really good at raising boys into leaders, right? And that's great. But what I'm really focused on is the missing pieces of why I can't connect to my wife. I don't even see that really sometimes, right? Because I'm so right. focused on like this problem I'm trying to solve. But if we can actually use our strengths to strengthen another man, think of the impact that that would have on this generation of men. Like, hey, if I can give you something that I'm good at and you can do the same, we just made each other better. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I have to imagine that uh, this, if this is an issue and that this conversation doesn't happen, maybe as, as much as it could, and that's got to be on the rise and got to be more common today than maybe it's been in, in previous previous versions of our culture. And I guess because parenting today is a bit more lonely than it probably needs to be. We've lost a lot of community elements, right? Like I don't live in the same area code as my parents or my in-laws, right? That's abnormal. That's a new thing, right? And it makes parenting a lot tougher. 
Um, you know, I, I use this analogy, like I got great neighbors in my neighborhood. We've got great relationships and great community. But if I got hit by a bus tomorrow, they're not swooping in to take care of my family. No one's doing that. Right. So every month I pay some third party stranger, right. Uh, insurance, right. To, to do that. Right. I, I send a check away to some faceless stranger to provide that part of community that I don't have. Right. Even though I feel like I've got pretty strong community, um, you know, and, and, it's, it's, it's so important though. It's so, so, so important. Um, now if this conversation is absent, right. How do you think people manifest? Like, what do you think is the result though, of, of going solo for too long, Larry, and maybe just, you know, internalizing those conversations yourself. You said men tend to focus on their shortcomings instead of their strengths. You know, why is that, you know, and what's the outcome of going down that path for too long on a personal level? Well, first of all, I just, uh, and I, I'm just going to coin a term. I don't think you're living your be the best possible life that you can. I don't think you're going to live as a fulfilled life as you possibly can. You know, the most successful people on the planet, no matter what their discipline is, they're lifelong learners. That's exactly how they, <clears throat> that's exactly how they view themselves is that they're constantly learning. Like I, listen, I I'll be the first to tell you, I don't have a lot of skills, like as far as like, and I don't have a ton of gifts and strengths. But one thing I have always been, even since I was a kid, is I am curious. I I always want to know. Like I, I'm always curious about people, how they operate, things that they're good at. Like I, I'll I'll get into somebody's world and ask them all kinds of questions, right? You know, about uh, about anything because I I I'm genuinely curious about them and I'm genuinely curious to learn myself. And I think we're really robbing each other of a more fulfilling life if we're not curious and we're not constantly learning from other people that quite frankly are better at certain things than we are. Um, you know, I'll share with you this. I mean, like we, we do this in other areas of our life and it's, it, the perception is, is like, well, yeah, of course you do that. So I know you're, you're an investor, right? You have businesses like I invest in real estate five years ago. Uh, I had no clue what to even do or how to start. So what did I do? I, I was friends with a guy who was a radical successful real estate investor. I just started asking him a lot of questions. Like, how, how do you do this? How do you get started with this? What does this do? Like, and now, you know, I'm, I'm a part owner in two different multifamily ventures. Right. But I would have never, I didn't even understand that. Right. But I, you know, but I'm, I'm willing to learn. And I think that this is no different, you know, especially when it comes to parenting, leadership, marriage, communication, connection, intimacy, uh, anything that we want to be better at, if we're curious about it and we can open up the conversation, uh, I, I think we, we do a lot of good. It spreads, you know, bad spreads like wildfire, but so does good. Right. If we're willing to talk about those things. Yeah. And do you find that? that uh, there's an air of complacency in society today and maybe a, a trend towards settling for less than you're um, capable of. And would you agree with that? And if so, what do you think fuels that? What do you think fuels that energy? I think, that, I think that's, um, so first of all, do I see it? Yeah, absolutely. We, in, in our community, we call that the drift, right? The drift. Okay. The drift. Yeah. The drift is that wash, rinse, repeat, right? It's, it's, I, I get up, go to the bathroom, coffee, go to a job that 
probably don't really love too much. It's okay. Got to put food on the table. I feel a bit trapped because I'm required to provide, you know, and I have to provide, I feel good providing, but I also don't necessarily like what I do. You know, statistics don't lie. The divorce rate's 51% now. Well, what's not talked about though, Jay, is the couples that stay together. Uh-huh. Yeah. Only, only one third of couples that stay together, only one third actually identify their relationship as working and they're happy. Sure. And that that's terrifying. That's like 10, 10, 12% of couples that walk down the aisle can actually say that they're happy one out of 10. Yeah. So, you know, and I think, um, so we have a lot of men out there that are, you know, in, in a situation where, you know, they, it's not ideal from a marriage standpoint, then tack on parenting. Right. And we certainly don't want to open up that can of worms or talk about that because we're like, Oh, I don't want anyone to think like, I don't know what I'm doing as a father. Yeah. Like I don't want that out there. So I shouldn't talk about it. So everything is, you know, our, our three favorite words of any question that we ask, I'm fine. I'm good. Oh, we're busy, busy, really busy right now. Fine. Good. Busy. Like I can, like, it's funny. Like when I talk to a guy, I don't know him or, or like, I haven't seen him. I'll be like, Hey man, how you doing? And as soon as he starts to fine, I'll say it with him, you know, just a joke. <laughs> How, dude, how's work going? Oh, it's busy. Right. And we'll say it at the same time, Yeah, you know, but, um, <laughs> I, I think we, those are what we call the rusty conversations, the surface level conversations that don't move the needle in anybody's life. And to be quite bold and frank with you, like I, I get bored with those conversations in, in a microsecond. Like yeah. I like to talk about, like, let's talk about the stuff that other people aren't talking about. And I'm not talking about something that's awkward. Right. But I'm talking about like, um, like if I'm talking to a guy about his job, instead of being like, what do you do? I'll ask him, what do you like most about that job? What fulfills you in that job more than anything else? You know, things like that, that bring about a different answer and a different connection. You know, you mentioned the the marriage data. Okay, I got a question to spin out of that. And we, we kind of touched on that earlier about <clears throat> how it is one of the most consequential decisions in your life that you get zero practice for in most cases. Um, and I agree if 51% is the divorce rate of that 49% that's left, how many just aren't willing to have the really uncomfortable conversation and do the remarkably hard thing, which is to break up a, a long-term relationship or a family. Like that's, that's an intimidating task and I, I get it. So within that, how many are actually fulfilled? And, you know, I recall a few years ago, my wife, we were, you know, we were, we were too busy all the time, too busy. You know, we kept on saying, oh, this is just a season of life, you know, and it'll pass. And, you know, I'm trying to build the business and we're raising kids and all this stuff. And she was quite frank one night and said, look, I'm not here for an okay marriage. I never signed up for that. I have no interest in it. Right. And so, you know, let, we're, let's head towards exceptional or, or find something else like, you know, and, and uh, I was like, I'll right on, like, you think, thankfully she said it and totally resonated with me and I'm, I'm all in on this. So, you know, and we do have an amazing relationship, thankfully, right? Where do you land though? You know, when you hear conversations like from somebody like a Jordan Peterson, who would say, you know, there's a time though, where you have to prioritize the kid's well-being and put your own happiness on the shelf, right? And if you brought children into the fold, you know, maybe divorce is the selfish and, and you know, seemingly uh, attractive route, but it's not in the best interest of the children, right? Now it's, there's no simple answer to that, right? Like what's right, what's wrong? Because every relationship family dynamic is completely unique. But, you know, would you have any comments on that concept? Because I hadn't really heard anybody describe it until Peterson. I thought, you know, it's interesting to think about because I always thought if I take care of myself, 
then I'm better equipped to take care of everybody else. But if I'm putting myself last, then I can't show up for anyone. And so, you know, it's okay to be selfish because if I'm good, then I can take care. I can be the rock somebody else needs, right? Um, do you have any thoughts on that concept, Larry? I do. So first of all, I love that your wife came to you, that she felt, you know, we we teach a skill in the community called psycho- how to create an environment of psychological safety. And that's basically highest level I could possibly tell you how to do that is if you've ever been told, I don't know what it is about you, Jay, but I feel like I can tell you anything that what you just did for that person is you create an environment free of judge judgment, blame, shame, and pain, right? Where they feel like they can tell you anything, right? And they're like, Hey, I can go to this person and tell them anything. Yeah. That's a real skill that, and a lot of people don't know how to do it. In fact, we actually do it, do the opposite. Like, Oh, I can't tell her that. Like, but the fact that you provide, you know, you've got the relationship with her that she felt comfortable because left unchecked and left unsaid that festers into resentment and resentment turns into the cancer that metastasizes and kills a relationship. So the fact that she came to you and said that, that says a lot about you, man. It says a lot about your relationship, even if it's not so good. Um, Jordan Peterson, and you've got to fulfill your cup. And, you know, I think a lot of men, you know, and we see this all the time in our mastermind, right? Um, listen, I wasn't always of this mindset, but I have been since 2015. I'm always paying somebody to make me better, always. And that's because I reap the benefits and the ROI in my relationships, in here, in my head, in here, in my heart. If I'm full here, here, everywhere, healthy, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, I can give you more, right? When I'm empty, I can't give a whole lot. Yeah. And what we always tell men is you can actually lead, you can give 70, 80% what you are right now. You just don't think you can because you're so empty that you don't have anything more to give, but you think that's a hundred percent. It actually isn't. The guilt that we see, like, for instance, like with our mastermind, right? Like I can't spend money on myself. I can't, I can't, I can't spend time on myself. I got these other people to take care of. You're going to be more efficient and more effective if you are full, if you take care of yourself, than if you don't. Nobody wants the overwhelmed, burnt out, completely stressed out, fried version of you. They want the, your kids, man, they want the fulfilled they want the fun and it's not always going to be like that. Right. But, but they, they want the fulfilled that not the one who's like just slugging it through life. But here's that. Again, we go back to perception. Most men feel that it's noble. And this is where I think the heart of men is so good. Right. We feel that it's noble. I have to go do a job that I don't like. I have to take on all this stress. I have to do all these things that are bad and I can't take care of myself because I got to take care of everybody else. So we feel that that's noble. It's actually not. It's actually very selfish to be quite honest. If you just give yourself an hour a week to work with a coach, if you give yourself 30 minutes a day to take care of your health, if you, you know, if you do something that fills you up self for yourself, you yeah. are going to become better for others, period. 100%. And, yeah. you know, you started off this conversation sharing an experience where maybe you lost your temper with your son, right? And man, I've been so many times, obviously, so many times, you know, I've been there. And and yeah. the, the difference is exactly what you said, you know, how 
how full my cup is, you know, to say it simply, because that means I show up with a ton of patience or none, you know, a short yeah. fuse or a long one, right. Happy yeah. with myself or not. Right. And if I'm not like as much as I may try, I know I project that onto other people. Right. Um, as yeah. much as I may deny it. Right. And, uh, uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, I see that in my kids, man. And, and, uh, yeah. So, um, can okay, I share I'll, one other thing real quick? Yeah, please. Uh, please. You know, you, you mentioned something in there that I think is really worth highlighting. And that is, and it's a lot of what, what parents make a mistake of is that, you know, I'm a parent first and I'm married second. Right. And in right. our family, it's God, marriage, kids, and they're very close. All of them are super close. A lot of, a lot of people think, well, if I'm prioritizing them, the kids are here and we're here. That's not the case. Um, Jessica and I honestly believe that we are a movie and an example that our kids have our front row seat to at all times. Like, so if our marriage, if we are not fulfilled, like personally us as individuals, how can I possibly give everything I can to her and her to me? And, but I want my kids to see, this is how you love a woman. This is how you treat a woman. This is how a woman should treat you. This is how a woman should love you. Kids have a front row seat to that, right? And I think that there's something really, really missed than if we are, it's all about the kids. We have, we have no connection. Like we're not really connected whatsoever. We're roommates, but we're parents. But I think what we miss, and we do that again, out of nobility, right? Because we feel this, we feel a tremendous demand to be parents, which is right. But at the same token, what are we robbing them of if we don't show them what a functional relationship looks like? And I want to go back to one other thing here real quick, the seasons of like, sometimes couples being on point and not Jessica and I, we communicate a lot right now. It's summertime. Kids are three weeks away from going back to school and the summer has challenged our relationship a little bit, but we expected it. We knew it. We, we sit down before every summer. We're like, okay, all four boys are home. And if we really look at it, my oldest and my second oldest, we have two summers left and three summers left with them. So it's really important to us as parents are like, you know what? We want to capture all this we can because it's, it's 10 weeks. And so what we're going to do for the next 10 weeks is we're going to say yes to them, you know, yes to a lot more things as a family and as them versus yes to us as a couple. And that's going to be okay for now. Yeah. As soon as they go back to school, we'll get back to like, dating again and, and all getting, getting back to like our Friday afternoon date night, the date, date days while they're in school. But for right now in this season, this is the mission, right? But making sure that you're aligned with that. Yeah. I have a, just like a direct question for you. So, yeah. um, you, you, you talked about how you all, you've always got somebody on the payroll that's making you better, right. Helping you grow into whatever you're trying to grow towards. And, I found a lot of success with that. You know, I'm a, I'm a triathlete. I have a triathlon coach. I'm not yeah. a professional triathlete. I don't need a professional triathlon coach, but it's super fun and it makes me better and I enjoy it. Um, I'm an entrepreneur. I have a, a peer group. I've been with for 10 years, eight other entrepreneurs in this group. Every month we sit down, share the top 5%, bottom 5% of our actually business, personal and family, but it all relates to how we operate as entrepreneurs. Massively beneficial. Um, I have a performance coach who just sort of works on me from a psychological standpoint. And she's like a mirror, you know, uh, because I've worked with her for six, seven years. If I say, oh, I'm struggling with this, or I want to do that. She's very helpful at being like, 
great. You've been saying that for four years. So shit, I get off the pot here, right? Like she is kind of my living journal, you know, and, and calls me out, you know, when I'm, when I'm maybe ruminating over something for far too long or, or whatever. I have not found that success though, when it comes to relationship coaching and parent coaching. And so, you know, what are some things that, you know, as a husband and as a father that you might look for, right. To find that good fit. If it comes to, you know, who might be a good fit for you, the rhythm that you might want to seek out, you know, any, any tips or learnings that you could share in, in that regard, Larry. You know, so parenting and uh, marriage, I mean, I think some of the skills are intertwined and and some are very different, right? But if I could boil it down to two, two words, it's communication and it's connection. Because if you can't clearly communicate and you can't connect with your wife, and if you can't clearly communicate and connect with your kids, that's the stickiness. That's the glue, right? I can be, maybe I can be more patient, but I don't necessarily how to know, know how to connect, right? I can be um, a good leader. Maybe I could be, I could teach my kids leadership skills, but if I don't know how to create an environment of psychological safety where my son can share anything with me or tell me that, Hey, um, and I, out of the privacy of my kids, I'm not going to go into details like, Hey, I just did X, Y, and Z. Can you help me navigate it? And I've heard some serious X, Y's and Z's. Right. And so when it comes to those two relationships, connection and communication is key. In our community, we teach, we teach 10 skills as it relates to those. And the funny thing is, is like, before I learned these myself, I was, I felt like Neo in the matrix. Right. And then when I learned these skills, I felt like Morpheus gave me the, I can't remember if it was the red pill or the blue pill, but it doesn't matter. You get it. Like suddenly I was like, Oh my gosh, like I can actually manufacture connection. I through very clear communication. I can actually connect with someone by using empathy. I can actually, instead of listening to every words, I can actually listen for emotion and understand what they're feeling and call out what I think that they're feeling. And that actually connects me to them. I think if we know those skills on how to communicate and connect, it completely overhauls the relationship. It's, I love that. And I think, so in my like 10 year vision, you know, in my personal dashboard, one of the the bullet points up there is in, you know, open and honest relationship with my kids, knowing that like, I don't know which direction they're going to go, right? There's so many variables I'll be unable to control. I don't know what the picture is going to look like, but if we have open and honest communication, I feel like, you know, things will be okay. You know, however it turns out, however, fostering that approachability, what you just said that your child comes to you with the problem X, Y, and Z, especially when Z is super, super serious and scary for them. Right. Um, you know, how have you, how have you created that environment where you, you fostered approachability, obviously very effectively in your life with your, with your children. Yeah. So thank you. I appreciate the question. I'll give you a, I'll give you a diehard example. Um, so I think what you just said, it's like, Hey, I want, I want open and honest communication. You know, let's really unpack what that is, right? Because everybody says that, right? Or when I ask a guy like who comes and wants wants coaching, I'm like, well, what do you want most in your marriage? He's like, I want communication. It's like, well, what communic what what about communication do you want? I hear two adjectives all the time. I want more. I want better. Okay. Well, if you had more of it, what would you do with it? And they're like, well, we would talk about 
you know, deeper things and our visions and our passions. And, 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 you know, we would talk about our sex life more. We would talk about the kids more and parenting more and, and the things that we want to do. And I was like, well, now you're talking about creating an environment of psychological safety where you both feel safe to even do that. Do you know how to do that? And they're like, I don't even know what that is. So things like that, just, so everyone says these things, like I want open and honest communication, but they, it's like the, what is it? The gap in the gain, right? It's, it's, I, I want open and honest communication. It's over there on the other side of that cliff, but I don't really see a bridge. I want that. I just don't know exactly how to do that, but here's what open and honest communication looks like. So creating an environment of psychological safety with your kids, where you're going to have them open up and talk about some things that are really on their mind. Right. And, and this is what I call a positive rep. Also how you perform when you actually do these things is going to be whether or not they're going to come back and talk to you again about something tough. What usually what we do, you and I, I, I was brought up this way. I don't know about you, but if I said something to my mom, that was hard for me. And then all of a sudden you get blasted with guilt, shame, blame, and all sort of stuff. The thing that went off in my mind is like, why well, I'm never talking to you about that crap again. Like, I can't talk to you about anything. I'll just find good busy. That's our conversation from now on. You know, so I'll share with you this. This is an example. My oldest son, 17, just got done with the, with the spring semester, got really sick. And the example that I'll share with you is, is what I use all the time. And I'll call out the skill sets that we do. So like, um, we went out on a date night and then we went out to dinner and I love asking this question because it's a way to manufacture psychological safety, a deep connection and conversation. I asked him this question. I said, listen, I have no agenda. I'm going to ask you a question. I have no agenda whatsoever. I have no idea what you're even going to tell me. And whatever you tell me, feel free to tell me you're not going to be in trouble. I'm not going to be angry. You know me well enough now. I'm just opening up the conversation. So here's the question. Is there something that you want to share with me that you think I might not understand or something that you're afraid to share with me that maybe you've been holding back? And I just shut up. I don't, I don't explain it. And, and, and here's what I watch for tone in his voice, the body language, the words, all these things. And then I see this, you know, it's kind of like, okay, I know something's coming. Right. So if I know something's coming, I have to stick with that promise of like, whatever it is, he's going to tell me, this is going to be big. And how I react is going to set the tone for the next 20 things he is going to tell me, or he's not going to tell me in his life. And he goes, yeah, actually there is. I'm like, okay, what's up? And he goes, you remember when I was sick a few weeks ago, I was sick for four days and I'm like, yeah. And he goes, I have two F's in school right now in two classes. I have seven missing assignments. Now, the default dad me and how I was raised is, what do you mean you have two Fs? You have two Fs? You know that's not acceptable in our house. Missing assignments? We don't do that in our house. What's wrong with you, boy? Right? Instead, calmly, because I want more, I'd be like, whew, man, I bet that took a lot of courage to tell me, huh? Tell me more. What's going on? Now, the reason I, I praise him and I linked it to a positive characteristic trait of courage right? I also invited for more. I didn't accuse and ask why. I didn't say, why do you have seven missing assignments? I said, tell me more. When we, when we use the term, tell me more, it's I'm inviting you in versus like, what do you mean you did that? Why? So uh, tell me more, what's going on? 
yeah, you know, I just, dad, here's the thing. Like I got all my assignments done when I was absent. And while I was doing those, I got assigned more and then I got those done. And then I got, and then I got assigned more. It's like, I feel like I'm on a treadmill and I cannot get these things done. Now, granted, I have seen him on his phone, hanging out with friends, YouTube, that kind of thing, you know, watching him waste time. Yeah. Now I could be like, well, I've seen you do this. And I've seen you do that. And be like that and be like, I don't do that. Instead. I'm like, okay. I was like, yeah, that sounds really frustrating. What I'm doing there is I'm emotionally labeling what he's probably going through. He's like, he's like, yeah, I, I, I am frustrated. I'm like, yeah, I bet anybody would normalizing it. And then I just simply say, you know, I could be the dad that wants to have all the answers and I want to lecture now. Right. Okay. Well, here's how we're going to tackle this, Ethan. We're going to do this. You know, you're going to hand over your phone. There's going to be no YouTube and you're going to do this and you're going to do this and you do this. And, and then we're going to get it all done. Instead, I use another skill, generative questions. And I bring him back to a time where he was successful. And here's what, here's how you do that. So I say, you know, Ethan, story I'm telling myself is you had COVID in the fall semester, last semester, you were out for five days, not four. And you had two Fs in classes as well and missing assignments. I don't remember how many, but this was the same scenario, right? And he's like, it was. I was like, you got it all done back then. What did you do? What did you do that made you successful? He was, our kids sometimes are so focused on the problem. And instead of me telling him how he should fix it, which by the way, he could zone out or not even buy into it. He'd be like, he said this, he goes, yeah. He goes, I, I actually stayed up later, like an hour later than normal. I got up a half hour earlier to do my work. And then what I did was that I went in the auditorium in school to, to eat lunch put in my AirPods, listen to music and just crushed as many assignments as I could in that one hour block. And that way I wasn't around my friends and I just got it all done. I was like, how long did it take you? He's like, it took me three days. I was like, sounds, sounds like that plan worked. What's, what's stopping you from doing that now? He's like, I, I don't even know. I was like, well, do you think that's a good idea? I think it's a great idea. Instead of three days, it took him two days. And he's just like, he came home with his hands up. He's like, dad, guess what? And I was like, I have a feeling I know what you're going to tell me. I got it all done. I'm like, of course you did. So, and here's a really cool thing. That was months ago, but that's a rep. And he wasn't lectured. I wanted to, but it wasn't needed. He lectured himself, but it was the way it was the environment and the questions that led him to his own solution, which by the way, they're going to buy into way more, right? They're going to execute their own plan. We just got to get them to articulate it. So that's conversational excellence. That's open and honest, right? Versus like, that's what's going to get me from here to there. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. You know, and even, even as you're describing this scenario, Larry, I'm like thinking about parallels in my own life, right? As a father, where sometimes I'm facing a problem that is scaled enough that it's just overwhelming. You know, it's hard yeah. to find even an attack vector. It's like, how do I begin you know, this through conversation, you know, thankfully I've got my peer group, but just through presenting this problem to somebody else, I see clarity on how I should begin. And and maybe it becomes simplified a little bit and you provide that platform to your son. He vocalizes the problem and sees the attack vector on his own yeah. just by communicating what it is to you. Like, that's amazing. Yeah. Like, it's a lot like your coach. You know, you hold a mirror. I mean, I think as dads, we 
we want to preach and teach and tell. But when it comes to any human being, any of us, doesn't matter if you're a kid or a grown adult, you know, if you can, if someone guides you just through questions, just through curious generative questions, and you can relate it back to another time that maybe they were successful or a way they could be successful, but they're the ones who are saying it out loud. Yeah. The chances of them executing that plan go way up. They feel way better and they feel empowered. They just solve their own. You just created a critical thinker, you know, yeah. versus I'm going to tell you what we're going to do about this. Right. Yes. Yes. I love that. Okay. I want to use this as a segue yeah. to the uh, dangerously good men program as a father of three young boys, my boys are two, four, and six. Um, I'm beginning to think about what a coming of age ceremony or process might look like for them. And the reason is, is I think I was really fortunate. I didn't have this in my life growing up, but I did stumble onto it by accident. When I was about 18, I left home and moved to a, I grew up in a city, Vancouver, a few million people, but I moved to a town of 42 people when I was 18 for a handful of reasons, but that ended up being this wow. moment in my life where I, you know, found a mentor for the first time, uh, learned how confident I was for the first time because I was throwing all these new challenges that I had no idea how to solve, but also kind of left in a scenario that I had to solve them. Uh, and then when I reflect back on that, I'm like, that was my rite of passage at that moment in my life. And the next few years, you know, were that collectively that, that rite of passage for me. And, and so grateful that I had that experience. It's missing, I think, largely in society and culture today. Um, I want to make sure I provide this space for my boys. I don't know um, what that looks like yet, at what age, you know, to what extent the journey is, all of this stuff. But you know, this is something that you've spent a lot of time on and, and you facilitate, I believe, right? Through your rite of passage program. So I'd love you to share a bit more on that and, and the why behind it and you know, the outcomes, et cetera. Sure. Yeah. So I just have to give credit where credit's due. This is a partnership program that that I partnered with uh, a gentleman by the name of Bill Winchester, who does this amazing, amazing work. Basically what it boiled down to is I was going to do my own back in 2020 and then COVID happened and I had to cancel it. So, and then over the past three years, our mission has gotten very robust and it was much easier for me to partner and help somebody who already had a very good pro program in place and he was getting it off the ground. Bill Winchester, who runs that is amazing. But basically what Dangerously Good Men is, is it's for, it's for young boys and fathers, boys between the ages of 11 to 15. And you're right, there really is no rite of passage anymore. You know, if you really think about those years, 11 to 15, you're not necessarily a boy and you're not a man yet. You're just in this limbo period and you're like, holy crap, like I, I don't even know where, wh what I'm supposed to identify with as far as am I a man or a boy? Depends on the situation, right? So Dangerously Good Men is, um, I don't want to spoil the retreat, but I'll tell you enough about it, which is it's all about creating a dangerously good man, but, but a dangerously good man has to know where he's aiming. And there's a big theme of of archery and arrows that's intertwined into this retreat and into this program. So what happens is, is you, you, it's up in Oregon, so it's not far from you. Uh, you go there for a weekend. It's uh, and, and you basically really understand what it means to be a dangerously good man, all the characteristics that go with it. You go through several different exercises. Nothing's crazy, right? You go on some hikes and you do some things, you do some journaling and you talk and all these conversations happen 
But basically what you leave with is something really incredible. It's not just that event. I took my 15 year old through it. You leave with six arrows and each arrow has a word on it, honor, integrity, character, enterprising, all the, you know, and a few others. And the whole event, the whole rite of passage is meant to be a launching pad for you and your son until he's 18. So like, for instance, I left with six arrows. Mason has his certificate that he, you know, he, he completed the, the program and a quiver. And we put that into a frame. And in that frame, there are six racks, six little sections where we put these arrows. And he just earned his first one, which was enterprising. The reason he earned enterprising, which is basically um, seeing whatever it is that you started getting through any, ad despite adversity. And I gave him, I gave him his first arrow and did it over a fire outside, made it kind of this small little big event. And then I read him a letter and it was all about his wrestling season. Mason was very brave and very decisive with deciding whether or not he was going to wrestle. He's a football player. He loves playing football, but he got into wrestling because he wanted to be a better football player. And throughout that season, I've never seen my, my young athlete challenged as much as he was in that wrestling season, which when he was in Little League wrestling, he was an absolute savage and did really well. But then he got to high school wrestling and he got hurt and he was out for a week, came back. Then he got sick. He was out for a week and then came back, got beat his first, I think five or six matches, but kept coming back. Then he bruised a rib, came back, bruised his, his clavicle bone, came back. Um, the last one was he got, he got ringworm and impetigo so bad. It was almost impossible for him to get rid of it and still finished the season. And he ended up doing really, really well on the tail end of the season, but he absolutely refused to give up when other buddies of his, once, when things happen, they just quit. Yeah. Like wrestling is one of the easiest sports to quit. He saw it through. So I gave him that arrow and I said, and I gave him several detailed examples of how he could have easily have just said, it's just not my season, but he didn't. And, you know, being able to put that then in the frame, but the goal is, is by the time he goes to college, he's going to leave with this frame, this giant shadow box with these arrows, with these letters. And then he has all these experiences over a four year period of being a dangerously good man and the characteristics and the milestones that go with it. But I think when you build a young man from the inside out and they go through evolutions and experiences and you highlight those, you're creating someone who has experience in what it means to be a dangerously good man. I love that. Okay. Um, I want to, I want to ask you about, about risk-taking sure. and age-appropriate risk-taking. I've found it's been one of the hardest parts of parenting because I identify as a provider. It's, um, it's my job to protect my children. They're young and vulnerable. You know, I'm the father, all this stuff, right? Which is true and very important. I also want to build tough, little, resilient kids. That's important to me as well. Um, I don't want to be a helicopter parent. You know, I want them to learn about risk through experience. That's going to come with free play, uh, with them making mistakes and getting hurt. Very hard to accept that though, when you're looking at your little boy, you know? And so, you know, do you have any, any shares, any experiences or lessons, Larry, in that regard, when you're trying to figure out how much leash to give a four-year-old or a six-year-old, you know, where 
And I think we used to get a lot more than we do today, right? Safetyism as a trend has really increased. And, you know, basic things like free neighborhood play are less than they used to be. Um, if you look at like the qualify, I'm going on a tangent here, but if you look at like the qualifying okay. criteria of like kindergarten students in the fifties versus today, the competency yeah. of a six-year-old in the fifties was far higher, right? And included a lot of tasks that, that we would never task our kids with today. We just wouldn't think of it, right? In terms of like uh, able to navigate city streets, you know, on their own at six years old and take city buses, et cetera. Um, how have you reconciled that in your life though? Cause you've got, you know, some teenagers and some younger boys, right. And so you, you've seen it, you know, but what have you learned in, in that regard? So, uh, when it comes to, you know, resilience, right. Or when it comes to, uh, I just interviewed Sean Patrick Flannery. I don't know if you know who he is. He's an actor. Um, he was in the movie nefarious and boondock saints and all that, but he's a lifelong like martial artist. He's a fourth degree black belt in jujitsu. And um, he has two boys who just won state and wrestling uh, in Texas. And, you know, Sean shares a belief that we do that, you know, you are in this house, you know, you are going to be required to learn how to defend yourself because there's going to come a time when you either have to protect yourself or protect your loved ones. And you have to know how to do that. So we're a big, whether it's wrestling, whether it's martial arts, whether it's jujitsu, karate, or a run-of-the-mill self-defense, you are going to know how to protect yourself against evil in the world. So that's what, and and swimming is another one. You're going to learn how to swim. You jump out, you fall out of a boat or whatever. You you're not going to drown. We're going to teach you how to swim. So um, I think that that's really important that kids learn how to protect themselves and what to do. Right. Um, each one of my boys know what we call the th uh, three basic moves, three basic things to do anything to get out of a situation. All my kids know how to throw a punch properly. They know how to defend themselves, right? And from an attack. Um, I also think you shouldn't be stupid as a parent. So in other words, right now, child trafficking is a $150 billion industry. And it's happening in our and it's happening in our backyards. Like kids are being taken, right? Sometimes adults and kids are being taken. In in our county alone, there was a mom and a daughter that were almost kidnapped about 10 miles from our house from child traffickers, from, from human traffickers. So do I think we need to be more careful than in years past? Yeah. Yeah, you do. I, I, I think you can, I think resilience and giving your kids a bit of a leash is important, but don't be dumb about it. You know, I have, I now have, I now have, my oldest is now driving. We have a subscription to life 360 and he knows that I know where you're at at all times. I know how fast you're driving. I know whether or not you're using your phone while you're driving. And I know if there's a rapid acceleration, I know if there's ridiculous, you know, if you're hitting your brakes really hard to avoid something. So I think, and, but being able to intertwine that into conversations, I think is really important. Not necessarily like I'm restricting you. Yeah. But let's talk about things as you experience them. I hope I answered your question. Yeah. Yeah, you did. You know, that's, uh, I'm a martial artist. I've got my older boy in, in kickboxing right now. He's going to start jujitsu. Um, and, uh, man, the, the child trafficking comment just oh, yeah. makes my skin crawl, man. I kind of left me speechless to be honest. I just like, oh man, I, you know, how do you, how do you even think about it? But, um, okay. So let me ask you about, about, I feel like some of what you do at home, Larry, must seem somewhat counterculture, 
right? Um, the way I, maybe that's just my perspective, but the way I see society gravitating is more towards, um, more towards like what we talked about safetyism, but that might may bundle the idea that I see, right? I want to have, however, you know, critical thinking, independent thinking, tough, resilient little boys. And so, you know, I'll give you an example of, of where I'm going with this. So we're super disciplined with nutrition in my house, very disciplined. And it may seem complex because we don't eat dairy. We don't eat gluten. We don't eat refined sugar, all this stuff, but it's really actually quite basic. We eat whole foods, you know, plants and animals. It's really, really simple. Um, when my kids ask me why they can't have junk food, it used to be more of a conversation. Eventually I just started telling them the truth. I was like, junk food makes you dumb, fat, and slow. Um, that's what it does to you. Right. Do you yeah. want it? Like, what do you want to be? Right. You know, daddy's an athlete. They do pull-ups with me in the morning. It's really cute you know, they love that life. And so I just, I said, honestly, a junk food makes you dumb, fat, and slow. And I hammered that maybe a bit yeah. too much in the house, you know, because what happened is that then they go into the real world and my four-year-old approached his teacher one day who was eating a brownie and uh, pointed to her and informed her that that brownie was going to make her dumb, fat, and slow. Fat and slow. <laughs> That's great. So of course, we get an email about yeah. this explaining how we need to yeah. start coaching uh nice yeah, yeah. language at home which i yeah. completely agree with i mean part yeah. of me in my brain i'm like okay yes that was rude of him to say that you're not telling me he's wrong though <laughs> but you know you know I, I i cherish these things at home i do think they're true and i think they're important and i want to instill these values in my kids yeah. but i know it's counterculture right to broad spectrum here right sure. you do you find that battle at the house and and how do you <laughs> how do you deal with that Oh man. Um, so I, I'm, I'm a lot like you and I are cut from the same cloth. Like I, I am radical with my nutrition, with my workouts, you know, um, I'm, I just turned 48 years old. I'm, I'm actually in better shape in my thirties than I was in my thirties and oh, great, 20s. Man. well, thanks. And I, I don't do TRT or anything like that. I'm a, I'm a, I'm kind of a skinny dude. I'm lean, but I'm 170 pounds. And, but, um, I take a lot of pride in how I eat. And my, 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 my boys will even like, dude, like you, like, there's no fluff in what you eat. I'm like, yeah. I was like, because there's a cost to it. And I was like, I'm moody. I have brain fog. I feel like crap. Like, and if I'm going to keep up with you four boys, like that can't happen. So yeah. I eat high oct. I always tell the boys, this is high octane fuel, clean, whole foods, clean proteins, right? I'm actually 80% of my, 90% of my diet's plant-based. And I've been that way since 2019. Um, but that, and I, and the only reason I say that is because um, that's, that's a, those, those type of foods agree with my body very well. Yeah. Um, even in my blood work. And uh, so, but I will tell you that, you know, my kids definitely know what clean eating looks like. And I exemplify that. Do they always eat clean? No, they don't but they also know how to eat clean when they do. So right now, like my 15 year old is, is bulking. He's, he's gained a lot of weight for football, but he's done it on purpose and he's eating, he's eating a lot of food. Some of it ain't so good. Um, but what we do is we always have healthy options available just in our house. What we do is food is nor good nor bad. It just, some are better than others. Gasoline is still gasoline, unleaded premium is better than unleaded. Right. And that's kind of the way we view it. It still gets you fuel, but it's not going to be the fuel you necessarily want. 
Um, I think the, the quote that we always say in our house, and you mentioned the words counterculture, like, I don't want to be the norm. Like, and we, the, the norm in my mind, the norm sucks. And I'll just say that very bluntly. Like, I don't, I want to be abnormally elevated is what I want. Like, I, I'm not looking for human. I want superhuman, right? That's, that is, we always say this in the house, which is, um, you know, dare to be a stallion among the donkeys, dare to be a lion among the sheep, right? The stallions live differently than the donkeys do. The lions live differently than the sheep do. It's not saying we're better or worse. It's just saying like, we're not going to live like them. Right. And I see this all the time. Like if you're a lot, if you're a parent and you're allowing your kid to be on TikTok for eight hours a day, you got a serious problem. If you're allowing your kid to stay up till 3 a.m. playing video games every single night, I'm not saying like in the summertime, like like let them have some fun. And all like I'm not I'm not the anti-fun guy. Yeah. But that's irresponsible in my mind. If your kid is spending six hours a day on Snapchat sitting on the couch, that's a problem. I don't care if it's normal or not, or this is just the way society. No. Everyone, you know, my two older boys, the two younger boys do not have devices. My older boys have phones. They have one hour of screen time on that phone and then they shut down. The only thing they have access to after that is their phone and their text. They cannot access YouTube, TikTok, the internet, nothing. If they want more of it, they have to ask permission, which usually is not granted. So um, we live within these parameters. Now, are we anti-fun? No, we have a lot of fun. Do we eat junk food? Yeah, sometimes. But we do it within with, with balance, right? Within balance. And, and I don't mean moderation. What I mean is like, like my wife and I went out for a date night last night. We went out for an ice cream afterwards. Dude, we never do that. Like ever. But we were like, you know what? Let's go out for an ice cream. We never do this. And we actually chose like a, a, a dairy-free vegan ice cream. So if we're going to eat, quote unquote, not so great, we're at least going to have an upgrade of what that could look like. Yes. If we're going to have chocolate. It's going to be dark chocolate. You know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff. 100%. If you're going to pick yeah. out, man, I'll, I'll pick out on dark chocolate and ribeye for sure. Right. Yeah. Or like, even like, um, you know, pizza, you know, we'll, we'll do a gluten-free cauliflower, yeah, like crust, you know, or something like that. Or we'll do like a veggie crust where you like, you make like complete and total cauliflower, you mix in some egg whites, right. It makes yeah. a nice crispy crust. It's more work, but if you feel better afterwards. 100%. Yeah. You know, you know, I, I found just to bolt onto that one analogy that does work well with my kids is the simple, you are what you eat. Say every day yeah. you're growing. The only reason you're growing is because you're consuming food. Your brain's growing, your muscles are growing, your bones are growing, and they will be made out of whatever it is you eat. Now, a brain made out of Cheetos does not function very well, right? A brain made out of broccoli and grass-fed beef functions very well. And so how do you want to function? Do you want to think fast, move fast, be strong, all this stuff? Um, okay, so you have a couple young ones still. Uh, Larry, I have three young ones. I don't know what the world's going to look like in 20 years. It's tough to imagine the skills that will make somebody successful 20 years down the road. Um, therefore I tend to gravitate gravitate towards like, what do I want my kids to value and gravitate towards? It's like creativity. I want them to be able to, you know, adapt and see opportunities. 
I want them to be confident. So they'll push their creativity into the world, right? And then I need them to be, you know, resilient or tenacious or understand the relationship between hard work and reward and why it's worth it, why it's worth it to do hard things. Um, what would you say, you know, are those are those character traits or values, not knowing how the world will evolve two decades into the future, that we could we could try to inspire into our young children today to set them up for success in their future lives. I think everything you just said is, is extremely important. Um, it's, I think it's more like the how, right. Um, okay. how do we do that? So I, I'll, I'll give you an example of my little guy, uh, my nine-year-old, I have a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old. My nine-year-old has really been asking me like these really fantastic questions lately. Like we'll be in the car. He's like, dad, he's like, why do you have a business and some people have a job? I'm like, man, what a fascinating question from, from a young guy. I never, I wasn't asking those questions. And so I, we, we told, I told him the difference and he's like, well, how, how do you make money as a business owner? And I, and I was like, God bless, like, how do I explain this? And so I said, you know what, here's how you do it. You bring value to somebody else and solve somebody else's problems. And he's like, what do you mean by that? So I told him we do in dad edge. I was like, you know, dad, dad helps other dads be more patient dads. Dad helps dads have better talks like you and I are having right now with their, with their kids. Dad's help. Dad helps dads with, uh, with, with their wives, with, with their moms, you know, like you see me and mom happy, right? He's like, yeah. I was like, dad helps other dads with that. And he's like, so other, other dads are not that like other married people are not that happy. And I'm like, yeah, believe it or not, they're not. And I was like, so I help him with that. He's like, oh, it's cool. And I was like, how about you? And you know, are you thinking about a business? Are you thinking about something? And he's just like, yeah, I want to make money and I want to do something for some other, somebody else. So one day he came to me and he's like, and this is where I think we can really teach kids versus do for them. Right. So, um, my son, he came to me, he's like, dad, I, I have a problem that I want to solve for somebody. And I'm like, okay, I'm all ears. What do you got? He goes, I want to bring freshly, fresh ice cold lemonade to people who are thirsty. <laughs> like you want to open up a lemonade stand? He's like, yeah, I do. It's okay. I was like, listen, if you're going to do this, I'm not going to provide you with anything. You're going to learn business. You're going to learn what profits are. You're going to learn what cost is. You're going to learn everything versus like, let's go to the store and I'll buy you all your supplies. And so we, I was like, yeah, birthday money. He's like, yeah, I have 40 bucks. I was like, great. I was like, we're going to go to Walmart. You're going to buy, we're going to buy cups. We're going to buy um, poster board for signs. Uh, we are going to buy markers for your poster board and we're going to buy lemonade. And we're going to, I'm going to show you even how to shop. Like what kind of color, cups do you want? What are the costs? The long story short, he picked out all his cups, his post board and all this. And we made decisions based on, I'm like, okay, if you buy these cups, these cups right here, you're actually going to be pouring in 12 ounces of fluid of lemonade versus eight ounces of lemonade, which is going to cut into your profits. And these cups are more expensive. Which one do you want to do? Which is more important to you to give people more lemonade or do you want to make more money or what does that look like? So he chose middle ground. He's like, what about 10 ounces? I give both. I'm like, great decision. Let's do it. So we basically, and we came home and we literally listed all of his expenses, right? And I'm like, okay, what do you want to sell this for? It's like, I want to sell them for a dollar. So we, we wrote out everything. And I'm like, okay. I was like, well, your, your margins here are pretty good. 
you're going to make 90 cents per cup of lemonade you sell based on everything that we have here. And we did a whole thing on it. He's like, awesome. And I was like, and I'm not helping you with it. You have to do your signs, all this other stuff. Went outside. We did it for two days, I think four hours, four hours total. He made $180. I was like, holy shit, man. And granted people were tipping him and all that, but we went through other things too. Like, I'm like, Hey, when people come up to your, you're, you're going to learn a lot about people doing this. Every single person that drives by, hold up your sign, wave to them and smile, whether they wave back or not, whether they smile at you or not, probably one out of every 10 to 20 cars will stop off and get buy a lemonade. So he had to learn that, like that little rejection, like, oh, that kind of hurts. Like I didn't, I waved, that person didn't do anything. Um, when people stop, what are you going to say to them? He's like, I'm going to thank them for stopping by. I'm going to tell them to have a good day. I was like, that's great. It's great. So he did very, very well. And we took out, we even talked about like, Hey, this is becoming a little bit of a business. Do you want to reinvest in your business? He's like, what does that mean? I was like, well, right now we have a shoe box full of cash. What would it look like for you to have a, maybe something like a cash drawer? That's $22. You could take some of your profits and buy a cash drawer. He's like, I want to do that. So he did, he did it. He bought it himself. So just things like that to where like, um, there was, there was these two girls that were down the street. I guess they got the idea looking at him, but dude, they had an arsenal of like their parents went out and bought like a legit snow cone stand. They had seven different flavors with pumps. They had this thing that was crushing up ice. You know, these girls didn't buy that thing. And they're like, our girls are selling fresh snow cones right down the street. And I'm like, give me a break. So, but he did, and uh, you know, it's easy for us as dads to want to overserve and be like, you know, Hey, let, let's go out. I'll buy you all your stuff. You just have fun and make the money. Yeah. I don't want to do that. I want to build a kid who can think very critically and different about decisions he's going to make about money and business and service and integrity and all those things. I think that's really important. I agree, man. I, look, dude, I, I love, I love your platform and I love what you're doing and oh, I think you're doing really important work. And, uh, Simply put, I think the world needs more leaders. And I think, uh, you know, the, the the tools that you're arming fathers with, that they're then arming their kids with, creates more confident, resilient, and accountable human beings, which is something in short supply right now. And, uh, you know, you're facilitating a greater supply of that. I think that's very, very important, Larry. And I really Thank love you. what you built. And I love the brand and the mission, man. I think it's very cool. Thank you. Appreciate you, brother. Appreciate you having me on too. Thank you. Yeah, hundred percent. I'd love to do it again because I, I frankly, I have like six more buckets here. I could keep on going. You know, I think as a father, you could just keep on going. Like I have more questions, <laughs> you know, there's so much yeah, more to you. dive into, but maybe we'll set it up for a part two, but um, sure. time, man, I appreciate your time. I do want to point people to your, you have an event in St. Louis coming up in October. Yeah. Um, I want to give you some time to, to talk about this because it's quite cool. Well, thank you. So we, uh, yeah, it's actually a two-part event for for guys like yourself and guys like me. We have an entrepreneur day. Uh, it's it's actually the day preceding the the event. So the big event is on the nineteenth and twentieth. It's called the Dad Edge Summit of nineteenth uh, and twentieth of October. October eighteenth is is Dad Entrepreneur Day. So this is where and if you buy a ticket for the for the Entrepreneur Day, you can automatically stay for the whole summit. But that's where we're gonna have. Uh, I think we have. 52 men now who are in that, who are going to be in that room. All of them are business owners. All of them are entrepreneurs. And we're going to help them with what we call the trifecta, which is um, we're going to help men create a plan for the next year. 
like they're going to do it, right? But we're going to create that environment where we can all crowdsource wisdom from each other, kind of like you do once a once a month with your guys. Um, but it's a way that they can literally plan out and map out what they're going to do, their goals and and the tactics to get there a year from now, right? In their business. Most importantly, though, is no man wants to go out and build an empire at the for the sake of their family and sacrifice their family for it. So. We're going to help men create the tactics that they want for an extraordinary marriage. So that connection, that communication, that intimacy, as well as how they're going to connect with their kids. Uh, we call them the boardroom dates, right? So like the meaning, you know, how often and when are you going to be taking your kid, your three boys? How often are you going to be spending time with them over the next 12 months? You know, that's one-on-one, that's super intentional, right? That they have no distractions whatsoever, things like that. So we call that the trifecta, continue to grow and scale your business, create an extraordinary marriage and connection with your kids. That's entrepreneur day. Then the big summit, um, that's where we're going to be helping men with leadership skills, communication skills, connection skills. And our, our keynote speaker this year is Blake Brewer, who is the founder of Legacy Letter. Every man this year at the summit is actually going to leave with an artifact in their hand. And that artifact is going to be a legacy letter for what he stands for, his family stands for. I'm not going to go into all the details because it's big. But um, he's going to leave with that letter that's going to be passed down to his kids and then his grandkids and then his great grandkids. So it's going to become this artifact that is going to be passed down for generations. They're going to leave with that, which is really cool. Can I like I don't want to uh, open the kimono more than you want to on this event. So so stop me if I'm sure. doing that. But just the concept of Blake's legacy letter, letter like the origin of it. Um, when I looked into that it stopped me in my tracks. And right away I was like, I need to prioritize this right now. Like right now I need to get these written for my kids. If if you want to share on what the origin of that is, I think that's pretty impactful. Man, it, it so Blake was on the Today Show. Um, Blake and I, I had Blake on the podcast a couple of years ago. We've remained friends and um, his story is incredible, man. Um, and it hits me in the heart because we just got back from Hawaii and what happened to Blake, um, he went on a family trip with his dad not too terribly long ago, and they were snorkeling, and his dad drowned. And his dad, I think, was in his late 50s, young guy, like, well, went way too early. And it was a huge upset, and he was very close to his dad. And as I was in Hawaii this past summer, I was like, I there's a nightmare that you never wake up from from that, Right. But what happened was, is when they got back, his mom handed Blake this letter and said, your dad wrote this for you. And that he wanted to give it to you years from now, not now, but it's here for you now. And it was this beautiful legacy letter that for what his dad stood for, right? But also all these amazing things that he saw in Blake, like these words that he put on paper for Blake and the things that Blake can now pass on to his family and then his kids, it will, I, again, I don't want to spoil it, but it's something that quite frankly, Jay, every single man walking the planet should have this. And it's a beautiful gift that he's going to be able to bestow, bestow on all of our guys that have attended the summit this year. And I'm, this is our fourth annual summit should be our fifth because of COVID we didn't have in 2020. I'm most excited about this year than I am any other year. And we've had some amazing, amazing speakers, but this one, yeah, yeah. it's big. Very cool. And every participant is going to leave with their own legacy letter written. Yes, sir. Uh, dude. Uh, yeah. I love that. Like I said, when yeah. I heard you explain, I heard, I heard it in your words, explain the concept of Blake's 
legacy letter and where the origin was. And yes, amazingly heartbreaking story. I came away from that saying, I got to do this now because yeah, what a, what a, what a legacy gift to leave your child. Yeah. Hey man, once again, thanks for making the time. Larry's my pleasure. Got it with your brother. And uh, I look forward to part two, man. Back at you. Thank you, man. I appreciate you having me on. If you enjoy my content, do me a favor, follow or subscribe to this podcast, drop me a rating and a review and share this with a friend. All of these things allow me to get bigger and better guests on the show. Now you can catch me all over social media at jmartinbc. Thanks for tuning in.